You have questions? We have answers. We're two Southern moms on the backside of raising kids. And we have some things to say. We've lived life, made mistakes, and learned some lessons. Join us for answers to the questions you just want to ask your mom. Hey, welcome to another Just Ask Your Mom podcast. I'm Renee Sproles. And I'm Bonnie Blaylock. And today we are going to talk about four things dads can do for their kids. So John Stone Street is known for saying that there isn't really such a thing as parenting. There's mothering and there's fathering because both a mother and a father bring differing strengths and benefits to a child. And David Blankenhorn in his book, Fatherless America, explains that films about family life help create a cultural story one that explains what kind of behavior is acceptable in society. And the cultural story about fatherhood defines our shared understanding of what it means for a man to have a child. And the story we tell ourselves, as we've said before on this podcast, can have profound consequences on how we review our responsibilities or view our responsibilities towards our children. Things we're seeing on television, Bonnie, they're not good. No, they're kind of saying that fathers are irrelevant or... um... Kind of bumbling dads you see that trope kind of a lot but is that really true i don't know there's a june 2008 article published on the website psychology today that says the importance of fathers was highlighted in, and they did this review of 24 studies and dr anna sarkati she's a physician at Uppsala university in sweden and she was the lead author of this review and she found that fathers really do have an important positive influence on their kids which okay shocker is not a surprise to me it's not surprising to me either, but her uh, professor, when she was doing this work, the professor that was over her doctoral work, didn't want her to even do this study. He thought it would be irrelevant that dads mm-hmm. really don't make a difference. He only wanted her to study mothers. But what she found, Bonnie? Yeah, what, what she found out was that the presence of a father in the home actually reduced aggressive behavior in the kids. And it was active and regular engagement with the kids that reduced the risks of behavioral and psychological problems and even boosted their brain development. Yeah. So, and particularly a lack of aggression in boys and um, psychological problems in girls were noted to be like mitigated by a father in the home. And so it's really important, but um, we're not dads. So we, no, we're not dads. <laughs> we like to give our opinions and we could do that, but we're not dads. No. Um, and this is just ask your mom. I understand that. But I did run across this Instagram post the other day uh, by at P Parable. He's out of London, England. And it used the verse from Matthew 317, where Jesus is baptized as a paradigm for what fatherhood should look like. And I really thought it rang true. I thought it was super interesting. Um if you're not familiar with that verse, uh, Jesus is baptized, the dove come down, comes down from heaven and a voice from heaven comes down, which is God, the father. And he says, this is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. Listen to him. Yeah. I loved this when you showed it to me because, um, I guess the guys, the Instagram account, did he, did he break this first down or did you break it down, Bonnie, when you saw uh, it? Yeah. He broke it down into these four elements. And I thought, oh, God. That's perfect. Yeah. So he took each phrase from this, these, these two, three simple sentences and showed that they really gives insight into what it means to father. Well, Mm -hmm. I love that. 
yeah, four key concepts that we're going to break it down and talk about, like why do fathers matter and how do they matter? What four things can fathers do for their kids? That's right. So we decided to bring some fathers in that we know and love very well. Our husbands. Yeah. So let's, um, let's let you guys introduce yourselves. Bobby, tell us a little bit about yourself, Miss Dr. Bobby Blaylock. I am a veterinarian in my day job and a father in my night job and other time job. Um, and I've had a, a chance to teach a parenting class with you guys for like 25 years. And so mm-hmm. uh, it's been a, it's been a fun ride. Yes, I like to say we taught that with you guys, and it was all a test run. We'd go home, experiment, do the things we were teaching, <laughs> come back, regroup, say, hey, is it working? Is it not working? Now we've got some street cred. We're on the other side. <laughs> yeah, how about you, David? Tell us about yourself. Well, hey, uh, David, uh, Renee and I have been married 29 years, and uh, you guys have heard about our kids. And uh, like Bobby, I have a day job and a side job. As a, During the day, I'm a financial advisor, and uh, then husband and father and we're involved with church like the Blaylocks with other classes as well. So we are, uh, Bobby and I are honored to be here. So this will be our second episode <laughs> with dudes. David was in our, our first one, right? That's right. Um, with uh, On the Money Podcast. So let's get right down to it. So the first phrase in this verse is, this is my son. The key concept in this simple sentence is that fathers confer identity now, we talk a lot about family identity in the parenting class that we've team taught. So, Bobby, can you tell us a little bit about what that means? What does it look like? Well, I, I just think that um, it, it makes such a difference if the kids are proud of their family, if they, if they feel like that is their, one of their primary identities, is they're a Blaylock or they're a Sproles. Um, it gives them something to kind of come back to a home base, uh, something they can brag about even to their friends, which seems kind of weird in today's world. But, but they, if you're doing lots of things that are fun, that are engaging, that are, um, that, that's impart values to your kids, then it can make such a difference in, uh, in their self-identity ultimately, if, if there's a strong family identity. So what does that look like at the Sproul's house? We want our kids, like Bobby said, to be a part of a defined group that, that we can help um, guide and direct and form. And to Bobby's point, they can be not only a part of it, but proud to be a part of it. And it does become part of who they are. And it gives them, in, in absence of that, they're going to find a group of people to be a part of. It just is going to happen in human nature. So some of the practical things are kind of where the rubber hits the road things that we did in our family was, um, well, we had a family cheer. Every time we went on a vacation, we would do the family cheer, which is cheesy and lame when they're teenagers, but they loved it. They wouldn't say that. They wouldn't admit it, but they did. They loved it. Um, We always talked about remember who you are and remember whose you are. And the whose part was always, well, you're a insert last name. You know, you're a Blaylock, you're a Sproles first. Mm-hmm. So remember that and like act accordingly. And then also whose you are, you belong to God. So make him proud. That yeah. I mean, in our family too, like we, we sat down and said like, what do we want to be about David and I, like, what's our family about? And certainly we wanted to be about what God considers important, but that can be so many different things. So you, then you start to take your personalities into account together. What does that look like in the family that we're creating? 
And so, yeah, it's going to look really different from family to family where the rubber meets the road. Like you said, we also had the chair though. Yep. We, we did have the, the funny kind of lame family chair, but we also had values that we were trying to instill in our children. And like a recent interview we did with Jane Heather Clayton, um, her, her point I thought was well taken that we have the ability, we have the power as parents and, and dads have this power to create the tone of the home. So like, so that to help make this family identity something you want to be a part of, that it's a joy, it's not a drag to be mm -hmm. part of this family, that it's, it's an honor to be a part of this family. Like Bobby was saying, you're, you're proud to be part of this family, but that, that doesn't just happen. You, you've got to create an atmosphere of excitement and joy. And I think both of y'all did that well. Yeah, I think it takes a lot. I mean, the word gets thrown around a lot of intentionality, but this identity is not, the identity I think you want is not just going to happen. You have to be proactive and intentional about it. And it starts with mom and dad, the husband and wife, making sure they're on the same page. I know you guys have talked a lot about spending time together in periods of non-conflict and, you know, some people call it kitchen time or couch time or afternoon time or whatever, but it's where you guys are making sure you're on the same page about things and that you're keeping each other kind of accountable on, you've got to be modeling whatever this identity is that you want to define for your kids, making sure that you're modeling that. And sometimes that takes some accountability from the spouse to the other spouse, but it sure makes it a whole lot easier. And you don't just accidentally find out that you haven't been defining what you want your kids to see for a long time. And you just accidentally ended up someplace you didn't want to be. Intentionality is super important. And I would just uh, add to that to say that uh, I think it's real easy for dads to be passive because mom knows everything that's going on with the kids sometimes uh, and they're coming to mom with all kinds of things. And we're sometimes out of the house and, and just popping in every once in a while. And so I think it's even more important for us because our natural tendency might be to be passive, to be uninvolved. And so it takes even an extra degree of intentionality to to step back and say, okay, let's look at the big picture. What is our family identity? You know, and so in times that when we could step back a minute, we would decide, okay, what, what's our family going to be about? What are we going to do? What's our main activity as our family? What are our main values as our family? Uh, you know, what stories can we tell our kids? So all those kinds of things. But if you don't, uh, if you don't step back a little bit and think about that as a dad and take some leadership there, then it can just get lost in the shuffle. And I think the best dads involve the whole group and do that. It's not just the dad stepping up and, you know, hey, I'm the dad, I'm going to take the reins, you know, here we go. But the dads who come in and say, okay, especially with the older kids, like you chime in, what do you think is important to the family? And you add something to the family motto or crest, you know, and I, I when they have ownership of that and can um, participate in that, I think it adds to the charge. Yeah, and you get to see the heart of the child when you start to involve them of, you know, what are they passionate about? What do they care about? And where do they want to spend uh, their time and their money and their resources and their energy and their passions? And man, what else would you, of course, they're going to be engaged if they're really excited about fill in the blank service idea or giving opportunity. So I think it's super important to engage them and involve them. Yeah, I mean, your family's constantly changing. Mm -hmm. um, it's shape and personality with each child you add, right? And it's our responsibility to discover who God made them to be and 
how they can be a loved and blessed and needed part of this family that we're building together. It's really so fun. It is fun. It's super, it's dynamic. And yeah, it's always changing. So the second phrase in this um, paradigm here is the second one is whom I love. And I thought it was interesting that God feels like that's an important enough thing to mention out loud. You know, you think that Jesus would probably already know that because he's just saying it. So Jesus hears it one more time. I don't know, but it's a key thing. It's obviously important enough for him to say it out loud. And the key concept there, I think, is that fathers give emotional security. That's a huge one. I think it carries a lot of weight for our kids' relationships down the road, how they learn to form relationships and, and be secure in those. So important. Emotional security, it, like if a child's not emotionally secure, they can't learn. Like they can't, they, like they're in a state of stress. And so they're like in crisis mode. And so this is, this is such a hugely important one that it's worth unpacking specifically guys, like how you created this emotional security in our homes. So who wants to go first? (laughs) I think David always gives this great example of your own mom and dad and how your dad um, spoke to and treated your mom. And I think you have followed that example from what I can see in your own marriage. So go right ahead. Yeah. I think a couple of things that that I saw my dad do a lot was he always complimented my mother in front of me and my brother. And so I heard him say those things about, is it your mother pretty or how we treated mom? And, you know, mom was the only female in the house because it was just me and my brother and my dad. And so we, we saw her as a, as special. And that helped me know that my dad loved my mom. And I saw my dad show my mother affection, still does. They were here uh, over the holiday and they still hold hands and kiss. And that just gives a child this, I think, this confidence of uh, that mom and dad are okay. And that is so incredibly important uh, to know that mom and dad are good. And they may not like it, but they kind of do because they know, (laughs) you know, and, and so knowing that my mom and my dad loved each other and seeing my dad speak highly of my mom and. And those types of things are just really important to build that confidence. That base is, is good. The base of the right. family is solid. Yeah. yeah I, I agree with you a hundred percent that, that the uh, husband wife relationship really is the foundation of your kids security. Uh, if mom and dad are okay, then they know they can endure anything. Um, kind of adding to that another big thing, I think that um, I had to work on really hard, but I think made a big difference is to guard my tone, to guard, guard my tongue and my tone, as we talk about in our parenting class, um, you don't realize how sensitive your kids are to everything you're saying, uh, even if they act like they're not, even if they're uh, in rebellion or anything else, they're listening to what you're saying and how you're saying it. And so I, I had to realize that, that these are, these are precious creations of God that are just entrusted to me for a little while. And I better be a good steward of that. And I better not crush their soul. Um, and so being really sensitive to kind of their inner world, to what's going on with them, taking a lot of time to listen before speaking, not spouting off, not getting angry, not, not uh, letting, not bringing work home and, and letting all my frustrations out uh, around the kids, not being a complainer uh, around them, all those things, all that, watching my own tone, um, 
and being more sensitive and more gentle and more kind and more open, I think uh, really helps kids to have a, a better sense of emotional security. If, if dad seems to be out of control or it seems like the world's spinning out of control and it might feel that way at work sometimes, but if you bring that home and your kids uh, constantly hearing that, it's not that you can't be honest with them, but if they're constantly hearing that, it can really make them insecure. And so I think uh, just guarding, guarding your tongue makes a big difference. Yeah, and I think a lot of men do not realize like how big and scary they seem, you know, <laughs> even just like an, you know, kids are little for a long time. They're actually just small. <laughs> they're not just young, they're small and you're this big grown adult man. Yeah, I remember I've talked about this before, my own tone with my kids and it felt it felt fake and weird to talk in a gentler tone. And I thought this is not authentic. And then one day it was just like, God graciously said, like, who said you have to be authentic all the time? Like <laughs> you can, you can bend to this person who needs you to communicate in a way that's beneficial for them. That doesn't just suit you. And that was um, helpful to me to go, you know what? I can learn this. I can learn this way of speaking and it's okay if it doesn't feel totally normal. So it's okay, right. dads, if it does, who, who might be listening because your wife handed you this podcast. <laughs> to <listen> to. <laughs> it's okay if it doesn't feel normal at first. Right. Um, and we do it anyway, because Ephesians 6, fathers do not exasperate your children. Uh, Colossians 3, fathers do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Yeah. Um, so those warnings, like they're in there for a reason, because right. probably lots of guys are tending to do that. Mm -hmm. Exasperating, embittering by their disposition towards their children. And we, yeah, and Paul says, don't do it. Right. I think it's uh, for moms listening to this to understand where dads come from. You know, I think it's good to remember that um, the way a man thinks about the world is not all the time, but a general sentiment is the world is out to get me and I, I've, got, I've got to fight to survive. And so in some places of work, it's, it's very much like that. I'm blessed that it's not like that for me, but it has been in times in past where it's just very competitive, very aggressive. And it's, it's uh, we may not be duking it out with somebody, but there's always an emotional or some type of fight going on. And we're trying to do the best we can to defend and survive and provide. And then to shift gears completely to a different tone when we come home is very challenging sometimes especially if, if you already tend to be a little bit more aggressive or loud anyway, shifting gears when you get home and turn on a different switch sometimes is very challenging. And so guys, it's very important for us to remember that as we're coming home to, you know, decompress on the way home, don't get out of the car and walk in the house until you're really, really off that last call. And, um, you know, be engaged when you walk through the door. And if it takes you, I've got to sit outside for 10 or 15 minutes and kind of just unwind then do that. Your children will be better served uh, by you coming in at a better spot mentally and emotionally than, and you'll have a little more control over your tone and how you, how you handle things inside the home. Yeah, David, I, that's so wise. I think um, I remember you used to have, um, I don't know if it was specific prayers for your children or just like little post-it sort of reminders, literally stapled to your rear view um, <laughs> or even the top of your car, the, the fabric in your car for that very reason. Like the second you get in your car, come home from work, that's your reminder. Okay, I'm shifting my gears and then the time it takes me to get all the way home. Right. It's been tough for, for parents who are both working at home during the past couple of years and everybody's there all together at all times. It's really, really hard. Yeah. But yeah, if you can do that, 
separation time. That, that's awesome. I think sometimes uh, emotional security is just as simple as saying the words. I know a lot of dads go their whole lives and their children's go their whole lives, um, not even hearing from their dad, you know, I love you. Yeah. I'm proud of you. Um, it's just three little words. I don't know why they're so hard to say for a lot of men, but for your kid to hear that on the regular means everything. I think most likely it was, it was not demonstrated in previous homes. You know, when you were growing up as that was, especially if you think generationally, that yeah. was not a real common thing for dads to talk about. So I saw that demonstrated. So for me, it was not a foreign idea, but I think you're right. It's, it's so incredibly powerful and that never gets old. You know, your kids never say, okay, dad, I, I got it. And I think yeah. that, that verse, you know, when he says, this is my son and whom I love, I think God did that for not only to remind Jesus that he loved him, but for other people to know that God loved his son and for other people to know that I love my children, I think is incredibly important. I don't go around and get all mushy in front of people, but I'm not afraid to say I love you to either one of my kids in front of other people. And I came from a, a family that we were not huggers and we were uh, not real. I am not real openly uh, affectionate or anything. I'm an introvert and all those things. And so that was a real something I did have to learn. I didn't see it as much at home. Um, and so I had to kind of force myself where it felt artificial at first uh, to hug them and to express my love to them and all that. But it's a great joy of my life now to get a hug from my son and to tell both my kids that I love them. And so I do think you can cultivate those habits and they make a giant difference in uh, how your kids feel about life. No matter how old they are. The other day you did that to our daughter too. She's 25 and she kind of gave him the side eye like, ah, dad, but she liked it. <laughs> she liked it. So let's talk a little bit about um, this emotional security, allowing our kids the, um, allowing them to fail in our presence, especially dad's presence, what that might look like. Do you have a, something to add about that? Well, I, I think it is a, a balancing act because I think uh, a lot of dads get uh, wound up in their kids' stuff and wind up like sports or whatever and are really pushing them too hard and the kids feel this pressure, even if dad didn't mean it, to always succeed, always do great. And and I think I've done that some even in academics, even though our kids have done well academically, sometimes I inadvertently might, they might feel like I expect too much of them. Uh, and so I have to go and physically say to them, I'm okay if you make a B, you know, or I'm okay if you don't win. Um, but you don't want them to not try also. So I think you, there's a, you have to be encouraging to try your best, but if you don't win, it's okay. And so David, you might have something to say about that as well. Well, I, I was blessed. I had a great soccer coach uh, in high school, played competitive soccer for a long time. And our coach said, I do not care if we walk off the field and you win or lose. But if I find out you walked off the field and didn't play 100%, I'll be disappointed whether we won or lost. And that, and I, I kind of had that demonstrated to me in my home as well. But that sentiment to my kids, I'd rather my kids uh, work really hard and make a B than almost not work hard and make an A because the, the value is in the, is in the work ethic. The byproduct is the grade, you know, and so it's talking about grades. And so as long as our kids were trying their best and, and if they committed to something, they were going to see it through. If they were the best on the field or in the classroom or whatever, great. But I didn't want my kids to ever say they didn't try their hardest, whether they were the best or not. 
And I think that is what gets uh, overlooked as we talk about, we'll say things like, hey, I'm really proud that you got an A. And we are proud of them to get to, to get the A, but what you want to say is I'm really proud of how hard you worked to get that A mm-hmm. because now you're elevating the, they worked hard to do that. And I'm even able to, to say, I'm really proud of how hard you worked to get that B. I know that class was really challenging for you. And the, what they hear is the, oh, it's the effort I put in, not the outcome. Cause we are not always going to make A's and everything that we do in life. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I didn't learn that one for a while. I learned that lesson the hard way, but learn it sooner, ladies, <laughs> you know, and, and being competitive and driven and hardworking, those are all great things, but it's got to come back to the result secondary. It's what drove the result is more important. And I think that's something that we as dads can really, really emphasize is the effort and the, and the their ability to stick with something and to not quit and to be resilient because resilience, what a, it's like a superpower. If you're resilient in life, man, it, it will it will help you get through a lot of hard times in life. And every person's going to have challenges, whether it's in fifth grade or college or career. There are going to be times where we are confronted with things that we are not going to maybe succeed like we thought. Resilience is a really, really important thing that we can teach because of the effort uh, and, and giving the best. So I think that's something else that we can, through our words, encourage. Yeah, and I think that I think y'all probably talked about it before, but it it's something that the kids have control over. You're you're empowering them as human beings right. by by praising the thing they do have control over, which is their effort, versus praising some kind of characteristic that they're born with or not born with. Uh, and so I think that really builds self esteem, not on oh I'm not like that person or I'm not the the smartest person in school or I'm not this or I'm not that. But instead, I, I do have control over how hard I work uh, or my attitude that I have when something doesn't go right. Mm-hmm. And so if we praise the right things, then that can build a sense of self-esteem in our kids that's healthy and based on on the things that they can't control. And this is you're you're making me remember <laughs> this. What all this that you're doing as fathers, this is creating point one family identity. Now your family has become a place that's safe to fail. Of your family has become a place where people are loved well, where even when the world says we reject you because you didn't perform the way we think you should, this is your safe place. These are your people who are always there for you, no matter what. And that is so powerful, mm-hmm. so, so powerful and beautiful. And something I always try to remember is that all of this is really designed to create a relationship of trust. Yep. Uh, I mean, it's all, that's the end result is the relationship of trust and if the kids don't trust you then not much else matters and so uh you keep doing things until you you get to the place where they can honestly trust you for good reason because you're trustworthy um and that's i think the essence of being a dad is being trustworthy and uh to the point where your kids can feel it and know it and and it's it's visceral to them that they have somebody they can trust and honestly like it or not as parents we're stand-ins for god for a while i mean hopefully eventually they outgrow us and realize we're not god but for a while, we're the biggest thing in their lives, and we're kind of a temporary stand-ins for God, and it makes it so much easier for them to trust in a good God if they, if a dad can can at least approximate that occasionally <laughs> of being trustworthy. Absolutely, uh, you're making me um, think of Psalm 103, where it notes that God's compassion should be able to be compared to a father's compassion. So that think about that. It's 
it's not God says I'm compassionate. So dads, you need to be compassionate. He says, as a father has compassion on his children. So I am compassionate. He is, he is literally like raising up men and saying, this is, I know you can do this. You, you have compassion for your children. Demonstrate it. I'm going to demonstrate it as well, but you're mediating that to your children. Exactly. Bobby. Yeah. Wow. What a powerful responsibility. That is. <laughs> and, the, is. and the trust, I think, in my opinion, the trust starts early and it's in, it can be in little things. And you have to remind your kids uh, that they can trust you and ask them if they do trust you when they're three and four. We've told the story before, you know, when the kid's going to jump in the pool off the side of the pool for the first time and dad's in the pool and you can trust me. Do you trust me? Jump into daddy and, and catch them right. and say, I ah, see you can trust dad. I caught you. That was fun. You want to do it again? And using that language when it starts to get older and now they're 12 or 13 or 15 and they've got challenging things and you've been using that language. Do you trust me? When now they're they're confronted with maybe bigger decisions and com- and conflict in their lives, you know, do you trust your mom? Do you trust your dad? And they can say, well, that you've had a like to Bobby's point, you've proven yourself that you're trustworthy. Well, let me help you make this decision because you can trust me. Mm-hmm. And that if you build that throughout their whole lives, not just when they're 12 or 13, but their whole lives you've created this track record with that child to say, I have been able to trust my mom and my dad for the last 17 years. And now I'm making a decision about a boy or a girl or a college or a job. I I need to talk with somebody I can trust. And hopefully you facilitated the relationship where they can come and say, Hey, I need some advice. And they're asking for that because they have this trust relationship with you. And it's not one of those things where you can just go in at the last minute and cram for like in a final You've got to be uh, proactive about that for a long time before, but it takes the small ones to be able to build on the big ones later on in life. Like so much of parenting, it's a trust marathon Mm. all the way from the beginning to the end. I love that. And there's not much that's more beautiful when you can make it to that level that you're describing. Um, And your adult children do come back and, and you're the person who's the most trustworthy in their lives. That's so gratifying. I always say there's no faking it in parenting because the kids will see right through any attempt to be superficial uh, and point it out very readily. And so, yeah, it really is a, it's a, I have to actually become a different person to be the kind of parent God wants me to be. And none of us are really ready when they're born. It's just, we're learning on the job training. Uh, It's not fair. (laughs) (laughs) And then you're done. You're like, oh, okay. Now I'm ready to actually do it. No, I get get it. (laughs) I understand it now. (laughs) All right. So what's the third phrase, Renee? The third phrase is with him, I am well pleased. So the concept here is fathers affirm. So, so important. Mm -hmm. So there's lots of different ways that dads can do this. So, so many, but examples are helpful. So how do we do it, Bobby? Well, you know, I think uh, we've talked about it a little bit already, but um, just physically saying, I'm so proud of you. showing up to their things, you know, to their, the things they're interested in, become interested in the things your kids are interested in. So go to their concerts, go to their sports events, go to their, whatever the thing is, um, you, you're interested in that. You're showing that it it matters enough for you to spend your time to do it. uh, And then you're looking for things to praise, uh, especially in skills, because that's not a moral thing. You just should be the most positive person in the room and just constantly be praising them, encouraging them, uh, pointing out the 
the good parts of what they've done, uh, you're, you're their best cheerleader and especially in skills development, I think. Yeah. I've, I've said before, uh, on the podcast that I, I thought I was like really capable and smart when I went to college and I met all these amazing people. I'm like, wow, these people are even more capable and more <laughs> smart than me. But my dad had done such a good job of affirming me that I had this confidence that really was unshakable. Even when I realized, Hey, there's other people who are more adept at me quicker than me, smarter than me, because it was that affirmation he'd given me combined with the love and the strong family identity. It's a, it's a powerful combination mm. and boys and girls, you know, receive this differently and we behave differently. And I think it goes back to the, um, the study we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast where girls are going to be more resilient to depression, anxiety, and boys will be more even right? I think is it um, Titus where the only instruction for young men, like he's given all these instructions, like old women do these things, old men do these things, young men, self-control. <laughs> That's the one instruction he gives to young men, have self-control. In the South, they'd say, don't be acting a fool. That's right. Don't, yeah. be, <laughs> don't be showing out. Right. Well, dads who affirm their sons, those boys can show self-control. You know, they, they are more self-regulated. That's right. You did it well, David, with notes. Talk about that. Yeah, I just having something long term, you know, saying something, but then, you know, writing the kids a note or a letter or now I, I, you know, I still try to text my kids pretty regularly, just something positive that I'm proud of them for. I'm praying about for them or to encourage them if they're having, you know, stressful times or challenging times. <clears throat> the, the words of a father are so incredibly powerful and you can affirm them and encourage them in a, in a lot of different ways. It doesn't have to be complicated. doesn't have to be you know, a long, long letter. If your kids are the ages where they're texting, they have phones, man, a simple text, set yourself a reminder, use technology to cheat on this. Set yourself a reminder once every two weeks to, Hey, send, send my son a, a positive text or, or pray for my daughter and send her, send her a prayer. Those things are so powerful. And that is affirming because they know that you are thinking about them and you're being intentional and proactive. Uh, all those things. I think another way too, is in front of others, you don't want to be that that parent who just brags on their kids all the time, but to, to other people that your children look up to, to say, I want to tell you what my son did or what my daughter did recently that I'm so proud of. They hear you kind of brag on them a little bit, but it's an affirmation again, not to the point of you're being um, prideful about it, but it is the encouragement to the child, especially in front of other people that are important to them. Uh, that's another small way that you can really affirm them and know that you are supporting them. Yeah, three words. Grandparents, really yeah. close friends who know your heart and know you're not humble bragging, who <laughs> you know what you're after here. You're trying to affirm. Yeah. Um, those are great people to do that with. Well, just like I think it's both a principle of marriage and a principle of parenting that you should really become the best students uh, of of your wife and of your children. You should you should know more about them than anybody. And the more you really know the ins and outs and the nuances of their personality, of their talents, of their temperament, the better you can do this very specifically, because a specific compliment uh, is a lot different than a general one. Oh, you're you're so good is very different than I really like the way you did that specific thing. Uh, and so uh, I uh, I think that's but that just again, there's no faking it. You can't just 
swoop in and not have been involved and not know really what's going on in your kids' lives and then do this. You have to actually be involved and actually be watching them and listening to them and learning about them and thinking about them and praying about them and talking with your wife about them and all the, those things. And then you're in a position where it's very natural for you to encourage them in very specific ways and, and uh, affirm them in very specific ways. Yeah, I want to say again what you just said. It's very helpful to ask your wife, Mm-hmm. You know, what she sees in the children, in the children, she's probably with them more often, even if you're both working, refer to our <laughs> default parent podcast, <laughs> default <laughs> parent podcast, but also praying, like you said, so asking God, sh- reveal my child's heart to me, show me what is going on. And just listening. I wish I'd done that sooner rather than later in the game, done it when they were really little and not just as they got older, because God is gracious to reveal those kinds of things to you so that you can affirm and love and guide with boundaries well. Yeah, so true, so true. Um, All right, let's go to the fourth phrase, which is listen to him. And the key concept here is that fathers transfer authority. Dads essentially teach their kids how to be in the world. So I think with this one, you first have to uh, believe that God gives dads some kind of authority in the first place, parents in general, but dads specifically, (laughs) and that so that they have something to actually transfer to their kids. What are some ways that you did that? Well, I'm just going to say I just stole David Sproul's good ideas uh, (laughs) for my own kids. And that's another thing I want to say as a dad is don't be afraid to beg, borrow and steal uh, because Sometimes dads are not the most creative people in the world. And, and sometimes we're never creative. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fine to steal other people's good ideas. So the yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, thank you, ma'am, please, which is David Sproul's dad's thing, it, it became a part of our family as well. Mm-hmm. Every time they walk out the door, you're saying those things so that then they go out and they live them, uh, that they're going out and they're being, they're living their real lives. That's the thing. As you see your parent, your kids age, you realize they're kind of in the game of life at first, it, you know, it's a training ground when they're little and then they're kind of, you're kind of coaching by their side and then they're kind of out there on their own. And you hope that you've given them enough uh, principles that they can go out and you really can't, you're ready to transfer the authority and they can really go out and, and live the kind of life that makes you proud, uh, both morally and, and practically. Mm-hmm. And Another thing I think you've got to do is dads, you've actually got to spend time with your kids. You can't assume your kids are just going to know what you want them to do. First, you want to have opportunity for them to see you demonstrating these things like opening the doors for other people and how you stand up when you shake their hands and how you address people. You've got to model that, but then also gives you an opportunity to say when you're about to walk up to a door and there's someone walking up to the door in front of you, you say, hey, son, go open that door for for that woman who's about to walk in or, hey, grab that bag of groceries and help them to the car or fill in the blank. You're there right alongside them to Bob's point where you can for a while you're coaching and helping and and guiding. So when they're on their own and you're not right next to them, you see them walk up and open the door for someone else or help someone carry something. But you have to spend time with your kids for those things to be transferred. It does just doesn't happen. It's got to be, again, going back to it's got to be an intentional decision that you're going to be teaching those things proactively. But first, you have to be someone that someone they can model their lives after. So you've got to be doing the things that you're telling them because they will to Bobby's point, they'll figure out that you're faking it real quick by you just telling them one thing and you're doing something else. 
Well, another thing I stole from the Sproles, and this is from Renee's dad, was that uh, I heard that that your dad took each of the kids on a trip when they turned 13. And so I said, I'm going to do that for my kids. And so I did. And uh, what the, I think those kinds of rituals, kind of things that they look forward to for years and then they do, it, it marks a transition. It marks a, now you're you're growing up you're in a new phase of life now. And I think having those milestones and those markers and those rituals uh, makes a big difference. And, you know, all generations before about 50 years ago did that naturally there, you know, and some, some, you know, bar mitzvahs and things like that still happen in some traditions, but in America, we don't have a lot of rituals anymore. And so I think trying to create rituals that say, yes, you've crossed a, a line now where you're, you're now a teenager. Now you're an adult. You're a, all those things make a giant difference and show them that you are ready to transfer that authority to them, that they are ready to take on more responsibility in the world. And, and I just, I wish I'd done even more, but I did at least do a few that I stole from you and other people. <laughs> so. Yeah. We talk about that all the time. Don't we Bonnie steal, steal all the good ideas. Yeah. <laughs> borrow, borrow. We'll say borrow, borrow, not steal, steal. I know some other things that um, you did, David, you may not be remembering them. So like when he was traveling for work, there was a season of life where he was traveling for work. Houston was like maybe eight, nine years old. Emma was 11, 12 ish. He would talk to them as he was leaving and be like, okay, now Houston, like you're the man of the house. Now it doesn't mean you're like status of dad, but I want you to help. And I want you to um, take responsibility and being sure your mom has the help that she needs. And then when we would um, also, the kids and I might take a road trip to go see grandparents without him because he was working. He again would say to Emma in Houston, I want you to um, help take care of your mom. She's going to be driving the whole way. She's going to be tired. It's your responsibility to be sure she's awake. And if she needs to rest, you need to tell her to pull over and you guys just pull, all pull in the same direction. And there's lots of different ways you can do this. When we were trying to raise money to buy that house for that child in mm -hmm. Haiti, we delegated authority to the children and said, you're also participating in this. We're all, it's not mom and dad piling a bunch of money away for this house. We're all, we're all doing this and we're going to delegate authority to you to how can you raise some money? What jobs can you do? And they were young. I mean, it was not a lot, <laughs> but it, it does, it, it's, um, it creates this beautiful, again, sense of family identity. It's like, oh, I have responsibility here. Like my, my contribution is important. Dad trusts me to help with mom while he's gone. Dad thinks we, we can, like ride in the van and know or to help with things yeah. that's a that's a really empowering thing for a child yeah i think empowering is so important because you can trust your kids with a whole lot more than you think you can if you have demonstrated and, and given them you know trust in a little in some few things and small you can trust them with much and it's beautiful to watch as they get older because then they just naturally will begin to do that and you don't have to just always uh, instruct and direct so yeah i'd forgotten about those I think a great area that goes along with that, um, you can do the same thing in is spiritual prayer for one. We just had a, a great podcast on prayer, teaching your kids how to pray and what it looks like, how to listen in prayer. And um, I think one thing we, I don't know about you, but what I didn't do probably enough is to, what you just said, confer that authority to our kids and asking them to pray for us in a lot of situations. Yes, yes, yes. I wish I had that podcast. Go listen to that podcast. It's right at the end of this one. It's probably one of our best ones. I wish I'd had it when I was a young mom. So much 
beautiful wisdom about conferring spiritual authority to your children and just stopping and saying, Hey, I need you to pray about that right now. Mm -hmm. I'm not always going to be the one to start the prayer. You pray about it. Or we're all going to fast. And, Oh, I have authority in the spiritual realm. I get to do that as well. It's this beautiful family identity that you're creating when you do those kinds of things. If if you want to be brought to tears and emotionally and spiritually encouraged, pray with your kids, have them pray, especially as you get older, you hear their, I mean, it is intimate and praying with your children and listening to their prayers, you hear their heart and what they love and what they're concerned about and what's on their mind. And it's just such a beautiful thing to hear your children, especially as they get older. I mean, all of our kids are now adults and to hear our kids pray, it's just beautiful. And uh, that starts early. Yeah. I- it is a special responsibility, which I think fits best here, uh, to to help point your kids beyond yourself to God, because at some point they do grow up and realize you're not perfect. <laughs> if they maybe they thought it if you're doing a good job early on, but um, eventually they realize you have some weaknesses. You don't have you're not all knowing and all those things, and hopefully before that happens, you've pointed them to someone who is worth that kind of worship, uh, and that's God. And so I think if, if we can model that, if we can sh- and bring them into service and sh- help them to start uh, having their own relationship with God, uh, then, then it's more natural to transfer authority to them because now they have, they have their own God. The Holy Spirit living inside them is their God, and that's a better God than we are. And sure, we, we hope to still be involved in some way and give some advice from our years of wisdom, but then it's, we're working and serving alongside them in the kingdom. And uh, I just think that's, that's a beautiful thing that you can do is, is you can take that burden off of yourself as being the stand-in for God and let God be God uh, pretty early on. I think to that point too, Bob, you, you said about, you know, when you're not perfect and your kids are going to realize you're not perfect. I think another way that you can confer trust and, and support trust is when you make a mistake, demonstrate to your children how you ask for forgiveness. And tell your kids, hey, dad messed up. And, you know, maybe I did come home and I was my tone was pretty harsh. And I I apologize to your mother and I want to apologize to you. That wasn't right the way or, you know, whatever. Demonstrate that and ask for their forgiveness and uh, demonstrate what that whole process looks like. So they know that mom and dad mess up, but they know how to apologize. They apologize to me. and, And that shows a level of respect of your child that you're coming to them and asking for forgiveness. And but it's honest and man, it, it's going to, they're going to trust you and, and hopefully do the same thing when they mess up. They, they're going to have, they will have seen that done well by their mom and dad. And so that just supports the trust. And, and again, demonstrates that I'm, I'm broken and I need God as well, you know, and I'm not, I'm not God to your point. So good. So good. So, good. so the four things, let's review the four things that dads can do from Matthew three seventeen. fathers can confer identity, they give emotional security, they affirm, and they transfer authority. Those umbrella, under those four things, there's an umbrella of a lot of, a lot of things, great tips under there. Yes. Yes. So many good things. Anything that you'd like to add at the end, guys, any thoughts or something you thought, oh, I wish we touched on this. I think one thing that I would also add, and this kind of sprinkles in through all of it is Dads, don't be afraid to show affection and embrace your kids. Uh, I mean, for boys, it's super healthy for them to be able to know that they can get a hug from their dad and 
and know that they can be uh, secure in their masculinity by getting a hug from their dad. And we know how important it is for young women to be, uh, you know, touched and loved and hugged by their fathers in an appropriate way. Uh, don't be afraid to do that. It's so, and there will be a time, there'll be a time. And I had somebody tell me this one time, you'll never know the last time when your kid crawls up in your lap. Right. They're and not gonna never, tell you. they're not going to announce that. You're not going to know. You're just going to realize six months later, it's like, my kid hasn't been in my lap for a while. And the same thing that hit me that was probably harder for me than anything is I, I generally, not always, but generally I would tuck the kids into bed. And there got a time to where I, I wasn't tucking my kids into bed because they were grown and older. And I look back on it, it's like, man, I wish I would have made a note to know this was the last time I was going to tuck my kids into bed. <laughs> Now you can't have a lot of emotion. Now we're crying. And, I mean, it's just, it's one of those things. And, and those are the times, the affection that you get to show, the physical touch is so important to children of all ages. And I still hug both of my kids. And I mean, it's, it's good. And they're, you know, grown, but there's something so important to a four-year-old or a five-year-old or a 12-year-old. And, you know, when girls start to change, it's a little awkward for dads, I know, but man, don't stop loving on your kids because, it's just so, so very important uh, to show affection and show physical touch. Yeah, my dad decided it was awkward to hug when I got to like the awkward junior high, high school years. So he would just run his hand through my hair, Yeah, which is terrible in the 80s without that work to get your hair to stand up. But and I acted like I hated it. But in the end, he was like letting me know that he cared. Yeah. Well, I'm going to add here, if I can say it, that I just lost my dad and in the hospital in those last hours the thing he told me and my sister was i just want you girls to hug my neck mm. that's all i want just give me a hug and gosh if that's not the most powerful thing that a dad can still do yep on his, you know at the very end i don't know what is so yep dads have a lot of power to bless and or curse yeah and it's a to bobby's point what he said earlier it's a huge responsibility well thank you guys for being here with us today you're two of the best dads I know. I know. We love y'all. You're great. <laughs> so we're going to have all this information on our website at justaskyourmom.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Just Ask Your Mom or Instagram at, at Just Ask Your Mom Podcast. And we'd love for you to give us a rating if you like what you're hearing and leave a review. It helps people find us. And you can subscribe and get our new episodes that drop every Monday morning. And send us your topics or suggestions to justaskyourmompodcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time on Just Ask, Just Ask Your Mom. Your Mom.